Hi and welcome to this week's DW Podcast. Uh, thanks again to everyone that's tuned in previously. If you're watching it on iTunes or Spotify, uh, please subscribe and like it uh, and continue to listen going forward. This week, uh, I've got my first guest. Uh, no, no, actually not my first guest, but one of my first guests that isn't from Lanarkshire. Mm. Uh, so we've brought him to Lanarkshire just to scare him a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'm joined by Ross Layton, who is the singer uh, and frontman, guitarist and father-son uh, the band tour, well, you can tell us, Ross, tell us a wee bit about Fatherson. Uh, yeah, so we are not from Lancashire, we're from Ayrshire, so we're from Kilmarnock, and yeah, we've been a band since we were kids, kind of rock band, just put our third full-length album, and just did some touring in the UK and the United States and stuff like that, so that's what we've been up to recently, but yeah, been in a band since we were kids, and continue to be. Did you all meet at school, or what was the story there? Yeah, so we all met um, primary school, actually. But Mark, so I'm from Irvine originally, Greg's from Rutherglen, and Mark's from Rossi, or Isla Butte, or whatever. Right, okay. And then we all moved to this primary school in Kamarnock at primary two. And that's bizarre, eh? These are the different places, and yeah. it's fate. Fate, something like that. Um, yeah, so we just met... Started becoming natural pals, like, there were guys I went to school with start becoming natural pals when we were, like, 11 or 12, and then started a band when we were, like, 13 or 14, and that was, like, 12 years ago, so... Where's it went, eh? Exactly. Well, it's, <laughs> it's still uh, got a bit of life in it, but, no, it's been fun, it's taken us all around the world. Has he still got on? Yeah. <laughs> These are still pals. We're still pals, and do you know what, see, because we have been friends since we were so young, and because at that point, like, all your pals at school, like, come over after school and you do that sort of stuff. So it's like, you become family with each other and family with their family and stuff like that. So there's never been any thing that we couldn't have got over and there's never been any argument that hasn't been dealt with. Like, it would be a wee brother or whatever. Totally. Like, shut up. And they go, right, you shut up. Can I imagine, like, especially your touring schedule, you are all over the place. So it must be, you are totally in each other's heads every minute of the day, aren't you? Well, I reckon that... But yeah, that's an interesting thing because... Of the last, there are definitely two people in the world I've spent the most time with, uh, which is class. But it's never, we've never not wanted to do that. Do you know what I mean? There's been periods of time and there's still periods of time, we're not the biggest band in the world, so like, you really need to be like, I want to do this. So when you spend 250 days a year minimum with each other, you need to be able to go on with each other. So it's never really waned. It's been fine. Just like, I think as you get older, you understand how you deal with your own time and how you need to, you go like, well, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do that. So we'll just let you go on with it. Totally. Just as long as you're in the van at the time, everyone needs to leave. You pretty much do whatever you want. Do remember good. your first practice? You said you were about 13? Uh, I do remember my first practice. I think it was in, because I wasn't the singer, Mark was the singer. We both had... Uh, SGs and we were like I don't know School of Rock must have come out around about that time like 2004 2005 so that must have been like what inspired the SG and then my little brother played bass this guy called William Graham was playing keys and Greg was going to be the band manager <laughs> slash drummer but didn't have a drum kit so the first practice was in Willie's front room and we just like all brought our amps and we just played as loud as we could against each other. We'd never did anything. Um, but that was that was maybe we were originally when we were like ten or eleven years old, called not only good looking. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first day of Geo. Exactly, not even good looking. <laughs> um, so the NOGL was the first incarnation. We were like, you had an abbreviation as well. Is oh, cool? God, I, 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 we had artwork, we had a track list for an album we never wrote. We were like, we were going for it. Uh, and then that pied it, and then we became a band called Energy. And then that was the three of us. And that took us up until we were maybe like 18. And then we had just sold Tuts out for the first time, and we were like, class. And the guy, he never managed this for maybe a year or two after that, but was giving us some advice. He was like, that name's terrible. We were like, I know the name's terrible, but everyone kind of knows us, is that? And stuff like that. He's like, 
What did they do as? It was it full energy or was it energy? Oh, no, not energy. <laughs> no, it was energy exclamation mark. We made yeah. a big point in the exclamation mark because that says of on Bebo and MySpace, wherever you can find those easier. Uh, but then I tried Google energy as okay. a small band. You're never going to get that. So we were going on tour with a band called Idlewild. And he was like, what to do is you've sold out Tuts, announce at Tuts that you're changing the name. And then the following week, go on tour with Idlewild as that new name. So then you've got this bit of press that goes from this band from Kamara. It's just sold out King Tuts. Um, change the name to Father Son. Straight on tour with Idlewild and then sort of kick off. Um, so that had been good to like over that six months prior to that we'd support Feeder a couple of times and we'd support a couple of people so we're kind of like and we were out of school do you know what I mean see when you're a band in school it's kind of easy to be a band not easy but it's like everyone goes oh I'm going to go see that band because they're at my school or you yeah. do like it's easier to sell tickets almost well, 100% because you're doing gigs in Kilmarnock yep. or you're doing gigs even in the school do you yeah. know what I mean so folk yeah, can totally. come see and you go like Oh, will anyone come to this gig in Presswick? And like 30 people come, you're like, yeah. Uh, you know I mean? One person's going, they're all going. Oh, that's it, uh, exactly it. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, oh no, that's what we're doing this weekend. There's like 50 kids getting the train down from Kilmarnock and then all the kids from Presswick, do you know? So that six months had sort of been that transition between coming out of school and going to uni and being like, all right, we need to be a band that doesn't exist in just Kilmarnock anymore. World, yeah. Will that? even work will that, will that do anything so yeah so that was sort of the, the changeover and then from probably the beginning of 2011 I mean we still had no fucking clue what we were doing for, for years after that but that was kind of when Fatherson started and we tried to keep it in tandem with growing up and it must be quite hard as well to change the name as you say you've toured with these big bands like Feeder already you're thinking we're established well, yeah, but then there's also the question of what is established. Do you know what I mean? Like, now we have a fairly decent route in, in Scotland and in the UK and some places in Germany, but it's like, for lots of things, it's that one song that takes people miles away and we could, and any band could be that. There's a really interesting podcast called And The Writer Is, and there's a um, one with a guy called Jack Antonoff, who is now a producer, he's in a band called Bleachers, but he was in a band called, I think it was like Steel Train or Steel something. Sure. And they toured the States for like a decade, like relentlessly, like 150 shows a year, like to nobody, to everybody, to that, to, to probably get to about a, a thousand cap size, maybe a bit bigger. And then he met these other two guys at the sort of back end of them doing that for a decade. And they started a band called Fun. And then they released that uh, Some Nights and the... As the bar closes and you feel that going down, oh, yeah, yeah. Home tonight. right? So that tonight song became number one globally, everywhere, like yeah. overnight. It's just like that. Just it just took that one song and all of those three guys and that fun band that come from bands that toured for a decade, like kind of with nothing, and then suddenly wrote these three yeah. songs, fucking blew up and stuff like that. So it's like at that energy point, I, I reckon, because being in a band and doing any arts and stuff or like anything like it's super important to you that's why you do it so in your head you are it's a massive change for you changing your name but in reality it's not that much do you know yeah, it's like yeah, folk, yeah. we go we can't you overthink it almost it's like it? no one will ever know who we are yeah. and then uh, the reality is that people go well, who's that band first? And they go like, oh, these three energies. Like, oh, cool, they changed their name. Totally. And that's and the whole the conversation. Music, aren't they? They're not there yeah. for the name of the band. They're oh, there for what, the 100%. Tunes. They're there for the tunes. Yeah. So if the tunes, if you carry, can manage to carry the tunes over that folk enjoyed already and then write better and better songs, yeah. then that sort of um, smoothed over that transition. And you sold out Touch, you said. So was that before the feeder tour or was that after <clears> that? Or? That was after that. So... Because it's, I suppose when when we were growing up, Feeder were a really big name. So For when sure. you got that, you must have been proper buzzing. That yeah. So we we only did t- two shows with them. So it was like um, the Liquid Rooms in Edinburgh and then the Ironworks in Inverness. So I think that just sort of showed us how to like how big gigs should be done. Yeah. Do you mean like how you carry yourself? And Definitely. That. And the thing that's been the big learning thing over our whole career is that 
watching other bands do things and you go, oh, I've never thought to do it like that. Or, you know, and that's this sort of like knowledge transfer that comes from that yeah. sort of by just watching it. So, yeah, the feeder stuff was really good and going into that touch thing. But we'd always kind of been quite selective and we also knew that in order to try and establish ourselves, getting to Glasgow was where we needed to be. Like, you know the same. It's like, I actually think Motherwell and Kilmarnock are very compatible, like so, in terms of like size of city and like just the way people are brought up. And everyone yeah. that I've met from Motherwell reminds me of people from Kelly and vice versa. Yeah, and they both um, get, for the size of them, been so close to Glasgow, yeah. they both get decent, vibrant music scenes. Oh, for extent. sure. Yeah. This is where people grow up. People don't grow up in cities. Do you mm. know what I mean? I always find it quite... As much as, oh, I hate going I hate that. Like, you grumble about where you come from. It's like, I loved growing up in Kamara. Like, mm-hmm. loads of pals, and there was always gigs to go and do, and if the gigs weren't happening, they resisted doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, like, you just grumble because you're young. You know, I want to go and do exactly. something else. But it's like, it's where, like, I'd hate to have been raised in a city because it's too easy. Durant's like, you had to go get the train, yeah. you had to, and you know you had to have enough money to get the train into town, or if you're going up to Glasgow, you need to be like, oh, you need to tell me where you are, because you know, so it's like stress, but it's cool once you get there, because you like you feel like that sort of, so this is what, 20 minutes away, Kilmarnock's about the same, it's like, the big city, the metropolitan <laughs> big city, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, so it gives you something to aspire to, I can imagine, if you're exactly. like, just in it, it becomes a bit, you become a bit numb to that aspiration. Yeah. Um, and like he says, it's like you, you've played all these gigs at school, you've played these gigs in the local town, so then to go yeah. and, as you says, everyone's turning up to them. Yeah, for so sure. Then to go into Glasgow, it's a whole new audience you're almost playing to. Definitely. And I think what we'd done kind of all through as being in school and stuff like that was we didn't play that many gigs, really. So we'd maybe do a gig in Kilmarnock a year, Maybe they did a festival in the summer, we'd maybe play that. They'd maybe play one gig in Glasgow a year. So we'd maybe like over the course of being like 15 to 18, we'd only play 10 gigs a year. Yeah. But that would mean those 10 gigs would be busy rather than playing 50 gigs a year and folk going like, oh, I can see sure. them whenever, I'm not going to go see them. Um, which I think that attitude, which came from Mark really, that was sort of his idea, then translated into moving forward. So like, maybe, so it's what, 2019 now, 2011, I reckon in the last eight years, we've only, we've done less than 15 gigs in Glasgow, like, probably about 10 or 12, Yeah. which has helped us, do you know, and so like, it was like, we did that touch show, and then we did another touch show as Fatherson, in, in that new year, just to kind of establish the fact that that was it. Then I don't think we played a show until 2014 in the Arches. Um, just put did you do two in the Arches? Album. So we did one in the tiny weed room, I think. And then moved to the bigger arch next time? And then so. moved to the bigger arch. I'm trying to. Th- oh, no, we did because we did um, a thing in the smaller arch. I don't know. Like, that's. I can't, I can't remember. I can only really. I can remember there being two gigs in the Arches, but I can only really remember when we put the first album, I Am an Island, out. That was the first one I really remember because we went a bit gung-ho and we had, like, brass and strings and all that kind of stuff and everything. Because we were, like, dead excited and we just... The first time we'd ever sold 700 tickets for it, do you know what I mean? So we were like, oh, my God. We'd played the garage here before that, you know, I'm thinking about it. But that was, like... That was right, big we're, time. We're, we're going yeah. to do this. Um, and then we didn't play in Glasgow again until the second album came out. Um, but that was ABC. So it was like, we'd gone from whatever the 700 tickets, and we doubled that to do ABC. And then later on that year, we did the Battlelands for the first time. And then since then, we've done the Battlelands again, and we've got the Academy coming up. But it's always been like, like don't flood it, because we're sitting after 10 years, and we've never had a hit. Right. Yeah. So you need to know that your audience, as much as they're loyal. Would you say that though? You've not had a hit. Because you've brought out a lot of singles and. 
Everything's done all right. Do you know what I mean? Everything's done pretty well. You're always dead hard on yourself because you're for the West of Scotland. Do you know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> you know, grumble, grumble, grumble. But, but you must have songs that you know, if you play at your shows, there's a couple that are going to be... Well, that's, that's maybe opposite from yous. Yous have, people tend to know the whole album. Well, well, that's kind of it. So it's yeah. like, I, th- I think Touchwood were quite lucky we've never had, like, no one comes to a gig waiting for one song. Yeah. Which is great, but... Because if you don't play it, then people are going away thinking that was... Oh, I, can't, play. Can't play, yeah. I can't believe you didn't play that. Is it would be like Top Loader not playing Dancing in the Night. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But also, that is such a shit thing for that band that they can't go on. Like, you go to shows where people have had maybe like three or four albums out and then one big massive song and the audience gets eclipsed from the first three albums and people in the audience just talk until they play that song. So, like, we're very fortunate that that hasn't happened so people come because we always wanted to be an album band and people come to listen to the albums but then we're so lucky to have a, a great fan base like all up and down the UK but you know Glasgow's where our biggest thing is so you don't like I don't think it's very sound to get people to pay 50 quid a year to come see us do you mean like yeah. oh we'll do the Battlelands in November and then we'll do like even that Battlelands in November and Academy in May, it's quite like that's quite a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like, and we're very fortunate that it's selling really well and it's probably going to sell out and stuff like that. But you don't want to rip the piss with people. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like folk have got other things to do in their life than come see my band. Do you know? <laughs> like, as much as I think it's great, like, I appreciate the fact that it's like your £20 ticket then becomes like. £50 on drinks and then if you're coming in from somewhere you need to get a cab or a hotel or stuff so it's like it becomes £100 easy before you've even left the house and it's like I'm amazed that people want to come and do that and what's been amazing that that last tour we were just on there is people are coming and talking to us after the show being like that's my 12th, 15th, 20th, 25th it's like that's crazy there is something hopefully bubbling under the surface with us at the moment that's just waiting to go because I love music and it's one of my favourite big passions in my life but I have never seen anyone 15 times do you know what I mean yeah. apart from like you get bands you gig with and you do like stuff like I've been on 20 day tours with bands and I've not even seen them 15 times do you know what I mean so there's like there's some sort of like so you don't watch the bands you tour with okay, is that no, <laughs> no but do you know what I'm no, saying no, it's just right. like that is an incredible thing that i that I still can't really get my head around. So that's my responsibility. You know, that's the responsibility as a band is to like make music that this fan base that's been following us for years enjoy and sort of grown up with us and we grew up with them and that. It is very responsible though. It's also selfless because there's other bands out there that would, I mean, you, you said it yourself, you've got a dedicated fan base. People would come and see you three, four times within a year. Yeah, for sure. Know? And it, it's down to people like yourself to take that back step and say, hold on, the now we, we shouldn't really flood it. Yeah, oh, 100%. I think that... Yeah, I think it just is about... You need some time as well. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you need to be like, cool, what are we going to do differently this time? What are we going to do for that this time? What are we going to do? Um, and it allows you to go and play other places and stuff like that and try and bring everything sort of up with it. Because we're like... There's lots of bands like that, there's bands in Manchester. So we'll maybe do, I don't know, two and a half thousand tickets in Glasgow. About a thousand tickets everywhere else in Scotland. And then it'll go down to as little as a hundred tickets. In between a hundred and five hundred, six hundred, everywhere else in the UK. So that's great. But it's like loads of bands are like that. So like, there's loads of Manchester bands that'll do like The Ritz, which is like two thousand, two and a half thousand, and then be playing fifty people in Newcastle and stuff like that. So it's trying to sort of suss out why that is. It has been interesting because I met loads of people who were in the States just there that are all in a similar position to us, whereas they're like pretty like established and big where they're from and then they're kind of like nobody knows who they are once they cross the border or they get out of the north of England or that sort of stuff. So I reckon all our shows now are getting busier and we're just starting to be able to put on tours that'll sell out and I don't I can't really understand why that switched I'm very happy that it switched yeah. but 
Do you think it's just to do down to playing them more? Because yeah. I suppose you've been playing Glasgow for yeah. 10 years. I think it's just always working. I think that's been the thing that has also helped us as well as that we've... So we're on the verge that, that if we get it ready and we get another album out next year, that'd be like four albums in five years. So it's not been like we've released an album and then toured it for a year, then spent a year working on the next one, put it out, toured that for a year. And it's just like, it's always, so it's been non-stop. Yeah. So it's like, I like that. I get to play the guitar for a living. Mm-hmm. My pals. I mean, I'm not exactly going to just be like, oh, I need a month just to like collect my thoughts. But it's just like, it's crazy. But that, it's just about working hard. You know, it's the same as anything. Yeah. If you want something, you need to put in your 10,000 hours or whatever it is. Of course. And just keep going for it. And when you were writing that first album, what was your kind of process with that, Ross? Because you were, what, you'd come out, out the back of that touch gig, I suppose, and then you went into Rowdy World, and did you just have like a, a record label, or were you have a manager? Or? Uh, no, so we kind of had a guy who still works with us, who manages Idlewild. Um is he that was, how you got that too? That's then? how we got that thing. And was that the same guy who was saying to you, you need to change the name? Yep. So that was him. And he's not a very forceful guy. He's definitely not. He's not like, you need to change, you know, like, you need to change the name. He was just like, guys, I think this would be a smart move for you. Yeah. So More he, like an advisor rather than a Well, that's manager, what he was for yeah. a couple of years because we weren't really at a stage where we needed a manager because we didn't have any tunes. Do you know what I mean? We had like <laughs> some songs we had at school and then some other songs. I think that first album, in the same way that lots of people of, of our generation managed to do it, was that you just like, you got your whole life to write your first album. So you just go like, oh, how's that tune go down live? And how's that tune go down? How's that mm-hmm. tune go down? And then you sort of pick and choose and then you make your live show. And then by the time we came to do the first album, all of those songs bar like one or two would been playing live for a year or two. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So that sort of, You've perfected them. Well, that's it. You got to road test them. You go, oh, I really hate that. I don't really like that. Does I love this? I don't like that. Um, so that was the sort of first album. Was quite cohesive by accident, uh, but it was basically just all the songs that we loved that we had. Well, I would do put an album. Okay. Out. Um, I suppose where you've been lucky in that is that you hear loads of bands that do their first album, then when they go to the second, they crash because they've not had what? all their life. Yeah, but that's but that's the thing. Like second album syndrome happened to us as well. Do you know what I mean? Like I think that album is is there is loads of favors and like I I like it and stuff like that. But it was definitely like we pulled that together in like ninety days or something like that. From the being two songs to the being I think it was like twelve songs on that album. So and recorded. So we went down to my mum and dad's in Kilmarnock and just. Stayed there for two weeks and just was like, there's another song and there's another song and bang, 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 bang. Which is cool, it's dead exciting, but it never had that sort of breathing space to be able to like live with it or play gigs. I think that's the difficulty if you're a sort of live band. So I'd say we're a a live band that records albums. Mm. So once you put an album out and people start coming to your gigs, you don't get to just test Test stuff. With yeah. things because, you know, it's the same. You buy a ticket, you go to the gig, and the guy goes, hey, "Here's a new one," and you're like, "Oh God, like, I don't want a new one." I came to last year the ones I know. Um, so that becomes the further and further into your career, I reckon, the, the more difficult that becomes because hopefully, if it's so, you know, touch wood, going well, everything's getting busier and going that way. So you need to find some other way of road testing them almost. Sure. So with the third one, we recorded it all live with the studio in Ibrox. Or th- not really a studio. I don't know what it had been. It had been a grow, right? Basically it had been a grow <laughs> yeah. next to Ibrox. And How did you know about it? I th- it was literally the the only place that we phoned that phoned us back. Not because it was a grow. No. Not because it was a <laughs> oh, we did an interview actually with a guy and for the paper and he was like, Oh did this place used to be a grow? And I was like, oh, yeah, I think it might have been and that was all the fucking articles just about the grow. And then he gave the address to the studio. He was like, oh, father's in built recording studio. I was like, oh, class, now everyone knows where all my fucking stuff is. Thanks for doing that. Um, but it used to be a grow. So because of that, the guy had taken out all the central heat and, and all that stuff. So it was fucking crazy. It was so cold. 
uh, and it was shared by this guy who ran a cryptocurrency. So it was just us and him in this building, and what did he do in there? He just had computers there. Right. They were like mining for Bitcoin or that sort of thing. Sure. Um, so it just us and him, and we just set up a live studio and demoed for like nine months. For the third album. For the third album. Yeah. So that let us play it live, loads and loads and loads, and then Four listen to it and then go, ah, oh, that could be that way, and then tweak it that way, kind of like what you would have done years ago, but going, ah, oh, that was quite shite, the well, that's maybe just a bad song. Uh, whereas you got to like peg stuff against each other and listen to them and be like, oh, that could be like this, it could be like that. So that was, that was interesting and good. But um, yeah, second album was difficult and I think that happens to lots and lots of people because, well, class, where's my phone going? Uh, I think there's that sort of heightened pressure, even if it's not really come from anywhere. Also, the second album was the first time we'd ever put it out on a label. Right. So, like, the first album we put out on our own label. So our manager, Michael, and our other manager, Bruce, started a management company called The Modern Way. And Is that Bruce Rinto? And no, Bruce Craigie. Cool. Different Bruce. Because you recorded a lot of your demos with Bruce Rinto. And the first two albums. Did Bruce you? Rinto. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, good model old boy. That's oh, it. Wishy. 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 I'm not letting him in here. There's no letting Yeah, but that was great. I think meeting Bruce was a massively important and influential uh, part of all of our lives, to be honest. So at the time, he was working in a place called Lo-Fi Studios. It's just off George Square, eh? Yeah, just Aye. underneath. So it's in an old, the, the rehearsal rooms and stuff are in old bank vaults underneath George Square. And he was working in there and he'd done a few things um, that we'd listened to. We'd played a couple of gigs with a band called Cities and Skylines and we really liked how that sounded. Yeah. So I think he ended up coming along to one of those gigs and then we just met Bows maybe, I don't know, 16 or 17. And he would have been about, I don't know, 21, 21, so 21 yeah. or so. And uh, yeah, just set off, just became best pals. So I think I was... Coming up, I used to teach guitar on a Tuesday and I'd get like 30 quid for it and I would get the bus up to Glasgow and we'd go to the buff club and then I'd get the midnight bus back to Cabana and like absolutely steam and grab and go to school. Or if I missed it, I'd need to get the train back from Glasgow in the morning to go straight to school. <laughs> I was like, absolutely steaming. Um, but that was fun, like we just like hung about and we did an EP and we did some singles and we just, I felt like at that point we just recorded all the time. Mm -hmm. like. You just you save up 250 quid or 300 quid, and you go, I'm going to go and record some money, um, some music. So, yeah, and then he came on the road with us and he did our live sound and then did the first album in Gorbal Sound in Glasgow. And then I co-produced the second album with a guy called Adam Perry in Rockfield Studios in Wales, which is like the Black Sabbath studio and Bohemian Rhapsody and all that sort Amazing. of stuff. So that was class. That was definitely an amazing experience to go spend. I think we did 13 days there. We just lived there. And uh, yeah, made that. So that was class. Brilliant. And that was fun to do with Bruce as well, because at that point he'd been... So we would have been, what, 23? 20? Yeah, we'd been working with each other for like six years. Mm -hmm. We'd been friends with each other for like six years at that point. And it's a lot easier when you're friends with someone, isn't it? Because I suppose yeah. if they're recording it and producing it, they... Want to have a lot of influence on the songs as well. Oh yeah, they, and they, I think a part of that comes, with that comes quite a lot of stress, I think, because it's that responsibility we were talking about earlier, but it's like nobody wants to put a foot wrong for each other. Yeah. Because you're like, then you second guess yourself because you're like, oh, I don't know if I really, I'm sure about that sort of thing. So... What is easy about that is is that you don't need to worry really about hurting each other's feelings. So if you go, because you've got I don't that like trust that, there already, yeah, you're like, yeah. I don't like that, and you're like, I don't like that. So then you can at least be honest with each other. But yeah, that was a crazy thing, and I think just even as we guys, don't need to be like we're in this mad studio making music because mm -hmm. that's what we all do. That's brilliant. How cool is that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was really amazing. And so then, did you fund your first album yourself? Uh, you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Creative Scotland. Creative Scotland. Creative Scotland. So we applied. 
I don't know if it's still a thing. I still do it, I, I, still I don't do know it. if you know the band Sudden Burst of Colour. Mm. From Motherwell, they've just recently applied to Creative Scotland and I believe they've got oh, a grant amazing. to do their first album. So. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, what an opportunity for young bands as well, you know. It's really, I think it's one of, I mean that Creative Scotland do a lot of great things, but I really think that's one of the things because one of the best things to do. Because lo- like loads and loads and loads of people have used it for their first album. Yeah. And it's really um, kicked them off as well and... Suppose without them, there'd be a lot of bands from Scotland that just wouldn't have made it. Well, definitely, it's def- um, it's definitely good that they see how big an opportunity that is for people and how much of a barrier it is for some people to make records. So, yeah, so the demo fund is there. I think you can get up to ten thousand pounds or something like that. Brilliant. So I think we got like three thousand pounds, maybe, but part of the the application comes that you have to be funding half or a third yourself or something like that. So you yeah. have to give a budget for the whole project and you have to have enough. So I reckon we probably, with gigs and just saving up or stuff like that, I think we probably managed to do that first album for about £8,000. And that was maybe even including getting them pressed and stuff That's like good. that. So it was good. And Gorbo Sound had just opened, so they'd given us a bit of a deal and... Yeah. It's like a great studio as well, isn't it? It's, it's also really very, very good. Um, which we recorded the drums for the second album there as well, actually. Um, but yeah, that the, the Creative Scotland funding was really, really crucial for us to to be a band. You know, it's like mm. it's that first hurdle. No one, you don't just have 10 grand yeah. set about, do you know? And if you did, you'd buy a house. <laughs> I mean, you'd <laughs> be like, I'm going to go record my guitars. Mm-hmm. So I think... Coming into from that, then to doing the second album and the third album, we've always sort of had that ethos of like money gets away with you with things. Do you know what I mean? You can just like if you're not careful, you can just spend and spend and spend and spend mm. and spend in all aspects of your life. You, you hear get, these crazy horror stories of bands that have spent months in studios and racked up millions of pounds worth of exactly. Debt, yeah, it's crazy. But that also comes like I think that is an irresponsibility of the people that look after you. You know, because the reason you have managers and people that are maybe older or more experienced in the music industry to work with you is because you want them to be looking out for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know, you don't want them to be like fucking geared up and just like uh-huh. not caring and spending all your money. So you want to have people you can trust. Surely your manager knows your budget and that's what you should be thinking to. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You should just be like, oh, the, the feeling themselves, just, it's like, they can't even fuel themselves for 15 grand a month. <laughs> just can't do it. It's yeah. not, not possible. So horror stories happen all the time where people... But then most of those horror stories result in people just getting dropped, which is also, like, a big crush. Mm-hmm. Do you I mean, like, if you... I think the way that we were brought up, it was like, oh, you play gigs and then you get a manager. And then once you get a manager, you get a record label. And then once you get a record label, you know, you get a record deal and you do it. Stuff It's like... All of these things seem to be on this mad pedestal so when things happen that people get dropped is such a heartbreak because you're like oh my god I had this this opportunity and I wasted it or like I I gave the best I could get but it it just didn't work and it wasn't good enough Um, which sucks imagine like feeling like that that's such a like no wonder people's mental health is all messed up in the music industry and stuff like that. Yeah, if everything's balancing off a knife edge like that. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like there's a lack of security there? Yeah, in the um, music industry. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, I spoke to I spoke to the LaFontaine's yesterday, or the, a few days ago, and they were saying, you know, we've got this reality check that we know that tomorrow we could all be working in building sites, and it's not. Yeah. And to be honest, it's it's heartbreaking in a way, isn't it? Because bands like them and like yourself, they put so much time and effort into this and mm-hmm. put so many fans all over the country and all over Europe to a certain extent as well but people aren't buying CDs no I think but it's like what I was saying about the song it's about the song do you know what I mean it's about that like that's going to carry it so it's just about trying to work out how to do that do you know it's like there's loads of bands we're not in a unique novel position where we've released Three albums, there's lots of bands that, like, Fleetwood Mac, do you know what I mean? You'd be like, that band is an absolutely massive, worldwide successful band. 
And then, like, Rumours was like their fifth album. Do you mean, or sixth album? Do you know, it's, they've got like a crazy back catalogue mm -hmm. where they've been doing it. So it's not like, by any means, not, not going to happen. That's not Are you saying your fifth album is going to be better than Rumours? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bloody hope so. I need it to be. <laughs> Instead of me wanting a building site. Imagine that. I think I'd get chewed out in a building site. I think you'd be alright. Yeah, as long as you wear a hard hat and tied your hair down. <laughs> I'd shave my head. <laughs> Definitely. What'd you really? I'd shave my head and I'd wear full length trousers. <laughs> Quite like to see you in high vis. Oh god. Uh, I was going to bring my bike today, I would have been in full <laughs> high vis. That's true. Uh, so you're on a record label just now. Mm -hmm. And do they say to you at the start of like a, a tour or an album we want you to sell X amount or how does that kind of work? Hmm. Or did they just say, here's the funds to go and record your album and let's see how it goes? Is there a bit of freedom there? Yeah, we've been pretty lucky. That's pretty much the latter is kind of what we've been able to deal with. So our label went from being an imprint of Sony. So our imprint is basically like a, an independent record company that works within the framework and within under the Sony umbrella, brand, yeah, yeah. under there. So with that, you have a small team with that label that gets to utilise all the services of the major record label um, or a branch of that called Sony Red Essential. Um, in the period of time between Open Book and some of your parts coming out, that changed. So the label, the parent label we were signed to bought another company and became a thing called The Orchard, which was the biggest independent only music distributor in the world. So now we have a deal with The Orchard, but our imprint then bought all their rights to not be... So we're on an independent record label now that runs through The Orchard, whereas we were on an imprint of a... It's essentially the same label, except... Changed it's, hands. It's, yeah, it's better yeah. for us. Um, so yeah, they're really cool, called Easy Life, and it's run by a guy called Jamie Osman. And yeah, he's a dude. He's always been cool to hang out and just be like, okay, let's just make some music. And he gets it. Do you know sure. what I mean? It's just taken a while. What would they class as a success, I suppose, would they be? Um, well, Hard everyone wants to make their money back. Yeah. Do you know, that's the thing. Uh, the music industry is a crazy landscape, whereas uh, where maybe only... Maybe streaming changed that a bit, but in maybe five or six years ago, you'd sign 10 bands and maybe one would make enough money to pay for the other 10 bands. Yeah. Do you know? And I think because of that, loads of artist development stopped happening. So it'd be like, okay, one and done sort of thing. Like yeah. I've got loads of pals that got signed to a label, put out one record, it didn't sell a million copies and that was it. Like, that career was done. Mm. So... We've been really lucky, and also quite... But is it lucky? Because as you say, you're, you're working 250 days of the 365 Yeah, but that's like... But that's just what you should be doing. Uh, like, I don't add, like... But there's also a bit of creating your own luck, in my opinion. You know. Definitely. I think you've you got to work hard, you got to meet people, you got to just network, you got to be in the right place at the right time. There's, like, so many extenuating factors. There's so many amazing, amazing, amazing songs they never get heard. Do you know I mean? So, so many of my favourite songs were not like blockbuster success songs, yeah. but some of my least favourite songs were. were. And then, you know, you've got some, um, there's been some amazing songs, so it's just like, yeah. as much as you make your own luck, it's luck. Yeah. Do you know, the whole fucking thing. So, we've been lucky enough to have this label that I've wanted to be along with the journey with us which has meant that we, instead of, when we were 18 or 19, somebody, a record company that will na be nameless, offered us like a massive amount of money to sign a record deal. Like, at that point we were like, maybe 19, I was like, holy shit, that's... So what are you thinking, let's take this, let's jump on it? Um, yeah, I was like, all right, cool. And then we read the, the terms and stuff like that, and it was basically like, at the end of this exuberant, like, for example, quarter of a million pounds, right? It wasn't, and it wasn't far off. The most amount of money I've ever seen written down ever, right? And uh, it's like, 
at the end of the day, your advance from this half a million pound, quarter million pound record deal is 12 and a half grand. And we're like, where's the rest of Those, and then he looked into it and it was like, 30 grand a year goes on accounts. And this goes on that, and that goes on that, and that goes on that. And that's when I really felt the benefit of having someone to talk to, mm-hmm. like a manager-wise, because that would have been like career over. Like, it was a shit record deal that looked like an amazing record deal. The way they packaged that off of them. So, we were like, no. And at that, at that point, we were like, we're not going to chase a record deal. We're not going to, like, go down to London all the time and try and look for a record deal. We're, not gonna, we're just not going to do that. If somebody wants to sign us, they'll come and see us. And I think it took, whatever, three years. It took just after we released I Am An Island. We had a few things come in for that as well, and we were like, it just didn't make any sense. We were like, we'd be losing money from what we're doing on our own if we signed with you. Mm. Um, So yeah, we never just really chased it. Never really chased the booking agent. Never really chased the publisher. Never really went and hustled that much and then people sort of cottoned on and started calling us up which was great it's much like it's much better position to be in when people want to send you than you've been like hey, looking could, for could, it could, could you the door. yeah so that would always be my advice to anyone that's in anything like that it's just like if you believe in what you're doing and what you're doing is good and there's other people that believe in what you're doing then something will come of that yeah. it won't go unnoticed um and luckily in our case it didn't. So yeah, we just put out that last album on Easy Life again. And you know, fingers crossed we'll get to put another record out with them as well. Good. But it's a great team and that's what it all is, just build a family around what you do. So there's like maybe twelve people that work with this band now, like across the world and it's class. Because we know them. Do you know what I mean? So we just went to New York there and met everyone from the publisher and went out for dinner and they came to the show and we did that and stuff like that. So it's like it's faces like the names yeah. and just like, oh cool, next time, <laughs> next time I'm in New York. But like, <laughs> but, there will be but, next but, but next time yeah. I'm in New York, I'll go like, how you doing? Do you want to go for coffee or whatever? Uh-huh. And that you're no longer a name on an email chain mm-hmm. or like on their list of bands they look after and stuff like that. So I think the music industry has to be personable. And I think sometimes when you're young, I remember as we were talking, so we just did a festival called South by Southwest. And, a new, and one in New York called the New Colossus Festival. Is that the first time you've done South by Southwest? No, it's the second time. Okay. But the first time... And this is where it's mad. This is where your ego comes into it, right? Because, like, obviously, just whatever size fish and whatever size pond you're in. But, like, when you're a wee guy, you know, you think you're the shit. You're like, I'm class, man. I'm going to go I'm <laughs> class. And then um, when you get booked to play a festival at you must think, oh my god, I'm exactly. king here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and then you go there and there's all these other bands that think, oh, I'm so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so many more folk playing, go and see them, and you're like, oh, come on. Um, so I just ended up not utilising that experience because I was like waiting for people. That's the big difference between, I think, the UK and America. It's like over there, we're just waiting for people to come speak to us. And waiting for people to come to shows and that sort of stuff. Network. You just need to hustle. You just mm-hmm. need to blag it. Just be like, oh, do you want to see the best band in the world? They're on in there in 20 minutes. <laughs> and it's me. Uh, do you know what I mean? So, Americans will love that. Well, that's, that's like, it. So Scottish folk would like, get yourself. But I think that's yeah. a part of the difficulty as well, is that you're raised to think that folk that do things like that and are actually really care about what they're doing, really passionate, it's fucking lame. Like, uh-huh. that's stupid, listen to him. Like, that's over there they think they, they build it up you know they buy into that 100% yeah. you could you could be doing nothing Maybe you could be a superstar do you mean you could tell them you're a superstar then no not really but like I think that is a barrier ego and confidence and belief in what you do is a barrier that I think got put up when I was younger by just hanging about with folk mm-hmm. it's not really you just don't want folk to brag because mm-hmm. folk that brag did get like, slagged off uh, and folk that brag go oh did you fucking hear Ross man's on that band it's fucking it's been such a dick it's got in his head it's got in his head well that's totally it uh, but it should go to your head you should, <laughs> do you know what I mean you should be allowed yeah. to be like proud of yourself a bit and you should be allowed to do that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and I think once you get that through your head 
things become so much easier because you st- you beat yourself up for being proud sure. of yourself. But you must have moments as well. I remember coming to see you at Barra's in November, was it? Yeah. And you were really emotional. Oh, for sure. And that must have been, you know, you, you might build yourself up to this, but then yeah. that's the reality there, you know, this means so much to me. Yeah, and, it's like... And it's, it's cool in a way to let yourself go as well and admit that, you know, how much this feels. Oh, of course. Like, I think, yeah, I've been very fortunate to grow up playing in this band. Do you mean? And it's been the, the focus of what I've done with my life so far. So it's good to like also allow yourself to take stock of that and be like, "That's fucking sold at the Barrowlands. Mm-hmm. That's class." Do you know? Like I've came to see all the gigs I ever wanted to see when I was younger, and even now, as soon as I know someone's playing the Barrowlands, I'm definitely going to see it. Mm-hmm. And this time it's me that's doing that. Like and. There might be some wee guy or girl in the crowd that plays in the band that goes like, oh, man, one day I want to play in that venue. Mm-hmm. I was and sitting there thinking... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to check him. Like a <laughs> but it is. Aye. But I think... But it, for me, it felt so much more special watching someone from that kind of town, from that city, yeah. playing in that venue because yeah. you see how much it means to them. You know, and it's... Yeah, it's a battle in Ballroom. Aye. Doing this, like, there's nowhere like it on the planet. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's cool. Think that. Because you've been yeah. everywhere. That- yeah, I, de- I definitely think there's there's places, and you speak to people, and oh, speaking to international bands and uh, or bands from anywhere outside of Scotland about Scottish crowds and stuff like that. You know, everyone, every gig you go to, you go like, "This is the best audience we've ever had," mm-hmm. and everyone goes like, oh, "Very good." <laughs> class, but people legitimately go, oh, "Where are you from?" From Glasgow. That's the best audience. Like any night of the week uh-huh. you'll, you'll play and it rings true because when you go and play in front of everybody it's like You're right up for it it's uh-huh. near Glasgow and Edinburgh and pretty much anywhere in Scotland folk go like they're there to have a good time mm-hmm. instead of have their arms crossed and be sure. like that's very cool music you know is there any cities you've played in that come close or what's what do you like they come close you really do well in Germany as well don't you uh, we had a really good show in New York there actually that was pretty similar and any, anywhere, uh, Middlesbrough is always a class. Really? Yeah. It's brilliant. Like, it's a good anywhere on Teesside, um, north of England. Some nights in the south of England, you had it and everyone will be like going crazy and then some nights are a bit more reserved. Mm-hmm. But I think the lucky thing about us is that we're seeing people come for like the whole album. So you'll just end up even if people are being quiet, everyone's going to still sing along. Do you mean? And we kind of managed to like go up and down rooms and people, like pretty much everyone in the audience is singing. So mm. it's like been this crazy thing that's followed this band from the beginning is that people know the words and connect with it somehow and become sure. and come to the show. And that's the release. They just like sing in a weird hipster choir for like <laughs> an hour and a half or whatever. Do you mean? Totally. Um, would you say your fans are hipsters then? No, but I definitely someone someone gave us a review saying that a thousand shows hipster choir <laughs> practice once and I was like that. <laughs> That's quite good. Uh, no, we have a very quite an old audience yeah. as well, eh? Yeah. It's kind of like I'd say probably sixteen to sixty. Like Aye. pretty much everywhere. There's a guy came with his daughter to a show in Newcastle. So his daughter was maybe 17 or 16, 17, and he was maybe 50-ish, and he'd made his own T-shirt, and he said, like, not your target audience, so he'd made his own father's yeah. T-shirt, and I was like, that's a little, like, it's just a great sense of humour, he's like, I know that she loves it, but I love it too, so, like, <laughs> I just let her, she dances with her pals and stuff like that, and I... Imagine going with your dad back. and he's wearing that T-shirt. Could <laughs> 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 you take that off me? <laughs> I think he had it hidden under his jacket until he got it, and then he couldn't take it off. Yeah. But yeah, we've been very lucky. Like, and that spans across, you know, everywhere. You think maybe the older audience would come from certain bands that we've supported in the UK and stuff like that, but then you go to somewhere you've never been before, mm-hmm. and there'll be an age range of like thirty years. Like we did a show in Copenhagen, and beautiful venue. It was really, it was absolutely beautiful. The hotel Cecil it looked like kind of Great Gatsby, Wolf of Wall Street. It was like, oh, it was class. You could have fit about 900 people in there. So the 40 folk that were the gig really loved it. <laughs> uh, but that was like, when you see it, like that microcosm of like 
between like maybe like twenty one years old and fifty years old mm-hmm. across the breadth of like forty people. You're like, oh, really weird spread. You would think oh, that yeah. with it being that amount of people, it would be like similar ages. What do you mean? So it would be like oh, every twenty five to thirty year old yeah. within these thirty people, like like this band wants to come see it. So yeah, weird. You've toured with some big bands as well, eh? We've done some cool shows. We did a really good tour a few years ago with We Were Promised Jetpacks. It was like our first European tour. They seem to have really hit off in America as well, don't they? They haven't been massive in America. I reckon they're probably bigger in America than they are over here. Because yeah. um, they had a bunch of really great sinks. And they were on a label for a while called Fat Cat. That were a US label that had a UK label as well. Okay. Uh, so that's who like Frabbits and stuff were on. Right. Um, so yeah, but they're brilliant. I think they consistently bring out great music. Um, and they were toured with an American band called Augustines as well, that were great as well. That was a brilliant... That was probably the most beneficial tour really? we've done. Yeah. In what respect were you? Just like, really similar audience, really <clears throat> big shows, some really beautiful venues. There was a place in Leipzig in Germany, and we played a a venue called the UT Konovitz and it's a theatre that hasn't been changed since like 1910 or something like that. Right. So Very it's all like falling apart but it's like the most picturesque place I've ever been. a lot of character to it. Oh, it was absolutely stunning. So that was like the first night of that tour and then we got to play in loads of great places. We played in a TV studio in Austria and played in like, yeah, just loads of great places and like their fan base it's very akin to what we were doing. And we get to go out and play those places now and there's people go, oh, I saw you at Augustine's tour. Or I saw you in the Jetpack's back. tour. I'm still yeah. coming back and bring a friend. I'm very jealous you've got your own bottle of Iron Brew. How mad I'm is that? Sitting it? here with this. I like, know. And you've picked the Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you ungrateful bastard. I know, because my, my blood is basically Iron Brew now. <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. I definitely got outed, so like... I remember sitting on Facebook one day and it popped up, Ross Slayton is doing the Scottish Cup draw or something, and I was like... <laughs> Click, click live. That's always been a mad thing because I'm like not very football-y at all. Never have been. Um, so I recently did a thing for the BBC called A View from the Terrace, it's called. So it's like a BBC Scotland's yeah. new like, football show and stuff. And they were getting people to do like their hometown or whatever team they support and stuff like that. I ended up doing Scotland, right? Because I was like, right, I can't do that. Because if I did Paper Roses... There's at least a hundred people in command that'd be like, you've been a fucking one Kelly game, man. Like, why are you doing Paper Roses like you're a big massive Kelly fan? So I didn't want to get rumbled for that, so I just did uh, Caledonia. But yeah, we've always had this real affiliation. I like not knowing was um, like the Scottish Rugby World Cup a couple of years ago was that was, was like the, the cutaway scene and then there's a song called Lost Little Boys on Open Book that was some like played in all the Scottish, uh, all the SPL clubs like... Um, grounds at one point over that season right. and stuff like that so we've always had a really good connection with football and that Iron Brew Cup draw was amazing it was hilarious yeah it was it was brilliant uh, yeah just such a weird weird thing to do and be like cool <laughs> uh, and, and for who were you doing it with again it was someone random wasn't it I can picture his face Billy uh, Dodds right was it Billy Dodds I think it might have been right? um, who was <laughs> So basically, we did a, a dress rehearsal of it, right? There wasn't any hot and cold balls, was there? <laughs> no, it wasn't that. It would have been so cool. <laughs> we, we did this uh, dress rehearsal through, and Gavin Mitchell asked me a question. And he was like, do you think anyone else will be... Who do you think the, the rock stars of the competition will be, was the question he asked me, right? So And it was the Iron Brew Cups, so it was the lower leagues, wasn't it? <laughs> so, so I asked... Um, Billy, I was like, can you give me some advice? Something to say <laughs> that will make me look like an absolute idiot. Because I'm going to say something about Kelly, but I need something else to say, right? It's like, well, Inverness won it last year, right? So blah, blah, blah. And I was like, cool. So I said, oh, do you know, well, Inverness did this and blah, 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 blah. And then it was about to go live. So the half an hour before we did it as a dress and then all the teams came in and it was like countdown 10 seconds, right? So he's on one side and I'm on the other side of Gavin, the guy's in the middle, the compare guy and <laughs> he comes around the back and goes, 
That was a really good bit about Inverness. I'm going to use it. Five, four, three, <laughs> no. two, one. His question was before me. So he says this thing, and I'm like, I can't find it. Word for word, he said it, right? I can't believe it. And I was like, I'm going to have to echo what Billy said there. And I just repeat what he said, a little fair play. Like, you did me a belt in there. That's <laughs> but it was good. That was funny. Uh, and then they gave us all our own um, brew. That's amazing, eh? Which is have you kept it? Yeah, of course. Oh, you can't drink that, can Yeah, of course. It's like, we've had a few things over the years. So this uh, German company made us our own beer as well. No way. So we've got like a, like a branded beer. and Did you get a Gold Tenants? Can? No, I don't have a Gold Tenants No, can. no. I'd, I've seen a few people be getting uh-huh. them on that big Juicy Appreciation site. <laughs> <laughs> best The best page on Facebook. <laughs> um, no, I haven't got a Golden Can yet. But I did go to something in the tennis I thought, That's why I thought that. I remember seeing yeah. you did something with tennis. We've done a few things. Uh, I'll end up doing something again as well because we're doing this cooking show. So yeah. um, I'm trying to pitch a cooking show to BBC at the moment. But we sort of did this cooking with Fallison thing a couple of times. So we made like an iron brew burger and we made chicken wings and a, a Christmas dinner and all that stuff. Yeah. But I think we might do some sort of like beer batter thing. And it'll be from tenants, from tenants maybe. Um, and they've got that. Uh, cooking Academy in there as well. So we're just about to do a pizza one because we're about to launch a bunch of merch that is cooking with Allison. Right. It's gonna be fun class. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, What's your signature dish? Uh, my signature dish. We were actually talking about this yesterday, right? I'm gonna ask you a question. If you had a food truck, yep. what would it be and what would it be called? What would you make? I'd have uh, Derek's Deli. Derek's Deli? <laughs> <laughs> and I would make uh, I'm terrible at cooking <laughs> and I, I only eat pizzas so I'd have to have pizzas <laughs> pizza. but then that, delis don't really do pizzas do they? Mm. would be confusing ah, if it was like called oh. Pedro or something Pedro's pizzas <laughs> Pedro's pizza right? uh, but you know what you're Derek's deep dish oh that'd be pretty good Derek's deep fried pizzas <laughs> <laughs> Derek's pizza crunch man <laughs> <laughs> can run the streets of Valero sell a pizza crunch <laughs> That's so cliche. Oh, I don't know. You could smell it coming down the street. <laughs> exactly. What am I going to have from? Oh, pizza crunch again. I'm never going to The same folk coming out every night. <laughs> Just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You'd have to sell fags as well, like, to make any money. <laughs> and iron brew. Uh, yeah, fags, iron brew, pizza crunch. Personalised iron brew. <laughs> what would you call yours? Oh, struggling off the beaten track. Right. And <laughs> I just make struggling off. A bit, I, thought, <laughs> I, I don't think you could sell that at a van on Kilmarnock. I don't think you could, but I'd be glad I'd try. I'd move up the ranks, I'd go from like local stroganoff van, and then I'd go into the big city, I'd try that out, and then I'd just end up at festivals and shit like that. That would be class. Yeah. And you could play acoustic out your stroganoff. Oh, 100%, I'd have to. If the music, if the music dies, I'd be just singing fucking stroganoff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, stroganoff the beaten track. That's it's good. happen. How good is your stroganoff though? Oh, amazing. I made a mushroom and tarragon stroganoff two days ago. Not but two days ago. It's really? delicious. Yeah. I love it. Easiest food in the world. Do you cook all the time? Yeah. All of us cook all the time. But I've seen you on tour and you were trying different burgers every night. Yeah, well sometimes that just ends up... I suppose you can't cook on tour, can you? It's not like... Well, sometimes we do tour like... Uh, like a gas portable like camping stove. And we used to tour like a microwave. Stuff like that, so you could be like... Use our hipsters. 100%. No, I'm and fucking so, skint. And so is your crowd. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just been being skint forever, it's just going like, cool, I can spend I can spend £8 on my dinner tonight, you can spend £8, or we could go, for £15 we can pretty much get a week shopping. So oh, let's yeah. go, give me feed five people or six people. So there's the three of us on tour, and then usually another three or four people as well. So it's mm-hmm. like... How can we can we feed seven people for twenty quid? Mm-hmm. And that became we had a George Foreman and a microwave. So you would George Foreman whatever, and you'd make rice or potatoes or pasta or whatever in the microwave, and that would get or you'd make big toasties for everyone stuff like that. So it's always been like at the forefront of us going on tour because it's like it's ridiculous because you just end up going out for dinner all the time. Aye. 
it's like this big bougie holiday that you can't afford. It's <laughs> like class. And then you come it must home. be hard. That would have taken you years to realise that, though. Or did oh, like, for sure. Uh, like, it took us a couple of years to be especially like... Especially when you're going away that young. Yeah, you're like, oh, class, I'm going to do that. Why are you chips? And then come <laughs> home, you're like 20 stone head. Like, oh, uh, and then also it comes, you come home and forget, oh, nice. Or you go, your bird goes, oh, it's nice. We'll go out for dinner. It's like, I don't want to go out for dinner. <laughs> I want to sit in my kitchen and I want to cook... I just want plain pasta. I don't want anything with any flavour in it. I've got so much salt and fat and stuff going about my body. I need to detox. I want a salad leaf and a cup of tea. That's all I want. That's it. Um, so we've been trying to like take that out with us. So we'll make like the tackles or something like that. And everyone, it just makes it interesting. Sure. If you're on tour with another band, you can both club together. And it means everyone's like eating with each other as well, mm-hmm. which is like... One of those weird ships in the nights things that happen when you tour with bands. It's like if you're on, so say there's two of you playing, they're on at nine, you're on at eight or whatever. Yeah. You kind of don't really see them because you're sound checking when they're having their dinner and then, vice, and versa. then vice versa. And then you're packing down until about halfway through their show and you might be staying 20 miles away. Sure. So you might be like, oh, cool, I'll see you later. And then you leave. So we found that maybe on days off or like days where we're in the same venue twice or in the same site we'll be able to be nice like, to catch up with him yeah have a bit of munch and go like oh cool we're cooking this let's all try and sound check early that day and so we can get dinner with each other and, yeah exactly totally so, you mentioned your girlfriend there how's she were you going to be quite a she, lot because I can imagine it can be quite a strain in relationships at times I think as long as you keep an open line of dialogue then there's nothing really much more you can do sure yeah we just had it there where we moved into a flat in August, end of August, beginning of September. And then we put the album out and I left essentially until November, second week in November mm-hmm. or whatever. And then it was Christmas. And then we were recording it, a bunch of real stressful stuff at the beginning of the year. And then we went on tour again for a month. And just before I left on that tour, our landlord called us to say that he was selling the place and that we had 28 days. And I was like, I, I, I was like, dude, in 28 days, I will be in Texas. You're going to need to give us more time mm-hmm. because Abby was starting this new job. I'd like, She was basically about to start a full-time job about three weeks into me being away. And I was like, D- my balls will be in a vice, man. You cannot <laughs> possibly, like, we're going to need an extension. And lucky they were sound, but they were like, we'll That's give you good. another week and a half or two weeks or whatever. But it was just a bit like, we moved and we moved into this new place and I was like, I was in that last flat and actually there for like three months, probably less than that, mm-hmm. over the space of the six months. I was like, you've essentially been living on your own. Yeah. And I think that is the thing because when you get older and it's just maybe you and your bird you live with and then you leave for six months of the year. You can it's imagine quite a difficult yeah. like, thing to sign up for. Luckily... This isn't a new thing in my life or in our life. So, like, when we started to with each other, I left for two months and then came back and then we probably started up with each other. And I was around and I was away for three months. Or so it's just like... I thought you were going to say, always... luckily, luckily I'm not only good-looking. <laughs> I'm not only good-looking. Uh, yeah, that's why she stays around, because I'm gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, ah, it's, always, it's always been a part of a relationship. Does that make it any easier? No. no. But at least it's not... At least there hasn't been like we've been out with each other for a couple of years, and I've gone. Oh, I'm going to start playing in a band, and I'll be I'm gone. Asking. And yeah. it's basically just from the outside looking in. It's just me, and my pals getting steaming and traveling and just doing whatever. And you could cool just you can sort all the bills out, and yeah. you can find us a new place to live. But the reality is, you're working. <clears throat> oh, for yeah. sure, yeah. And like to say that it's not fun would be a lie, mm-hmm. but to say that sometimes it's not really difficult would also be a lie. Yeah. Um, but she's cool with it. Um, She's doing a lot of stuff. She's going to be doing a lot of travelling as well. So I think my my big thing when we started going with each other was basically like anything that you want to do, just do it. Mm-hmm. Like, what's like what's the point? It's like folk going like, oh, I didn't want to go and get that amazing job in Manchester because my bird was like she was to be upset. It's like shut up. She's not the right bird for you then. Mm-hmm. Like fuck that. If you can't support each other to do what you want what's to the do. Point? What is the point? Mm-hmm. Like, we're lucky, we're young, we don't have any kids, 
we don't have like a, not that I wouldn't want a mortgage, but we don't have a mortgage at the moment. So it's just like the only thing that's tying you down is what you want to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's a very utopian image of how life works. But yeah. it's just like if you come home and you're like, oh, I need to move to Shrewsbury for six months for a single job, but like, cool, just work it out. It, like it's fine. I can probably move to Shrewsbury because. I'm only going to be there for three months anyway, yeah. or a month, and then I'm going to leave anyway. So it's like... I tend to agree with you, but I do think that there's a lot of people out there, the majority of people that kind of, they become institutionalised and think, you know... You, you, need, that's, you the way, that's the way life is. You right. need money. You need money to survive, right? Be all and all. You need to do that. And it becomes how much money is your minimum amount of money to live mm. on. It's like, I play in this band... And I love it, but I don't make a massive living. Yeah. But the living is offset by the fact that I get to go to like 20 countries a year. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I don't save up for a holiday per se. You're always like, on holiday. I'm always on holiday. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, um, so there's a sort of trade-off for that. Does that, in terms of relationship, go like, I'm, I'm going to all these countries <laughs> and I don't know if I can really give you a week because I don't know what I'm going to be doing that week to go on holiday. Yeah. That's the stressful That's part. Stressful, yeah. It's not being able to plan. It's having someone that has a certain amount of time off and you have essentially an endless amount of time off that always gets filled at the most inopportune time. Of course. So you go like, oh cool, we're going to go that holiday, let's book all the flights and stuff like that. And you go, oh, I've got two gigs oh, and I can't even do them. So It's a big sacrifice, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Being in a band is hard in that respect. Mm. Is that Especially being the band sort of our size. Do you know, so it's like everything's always on the line and we're always trying to get to that next level and we're yeah. always trying to do that. So like every opportunity doesn't get squandered. Yeah. But that might be at the detriment of something else. Yeah. What's so, the future plans then? Apart from writing the next rumours? Uh, we're going to write the next rumours and then I reckon the next Born to Run, I think. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, so I think... We'll either do one first and swap them about or something like that. Whatever. Whatever one gets is famous and successful and rich. It's going to happen, though, eh? I I get to enjoy making music with my friends. Mm -hmm. And for as long as we get to enjoy doing that, I'll continue to enjoy doing that. So I think the plan is we have the Academy in May, on the 18th of May. A couple of shows in London. A few shows with that band, The Future Heads. Oh, yeah. It's going to be class. A couple of shows with The Proclaimers. Do you and really then, know? Yeah. Whereabouts? <laughs> so we've got one in Inverness and one in Melrose. Brilliant. But they're amazing. It's like, but they've obviously the proclaimers sell out everywhere, so they're like five or six thousand capacity in both of those places. Was it the glasses? Is that why they got you in? Yeah, so they're, uh, the long lost uh, <laughs> nephew or whatever it'll be. Uh, so I need to get so I could cut a platform or whatever. Um, so yeah, we've got that. We've got a bunch of shows. We're going to. Um, the Ukraine, actually. Right. I'm playing a show, which is, like, we're on the main stage of this festival in Ukraine. Brilliant. How did that happen? Aye. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> cool. Uh, so I think we're going over there for three days or four days uh, to play. It's, it's quite a heavy festival. I think Sepultura are headlining it. Right, okay. Which isn't exactly <laughs> the end of Shmindy Fallison Uh So when we turn up in the pastel suits, I think we'll get back and <laughs> bottled. Get bottled <laughs> exactly. But getting bottled off in Ukraine's at least a story oh, to tell. Exactly. As long as it doesn't actually <laughs> give us brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, just mad stuff. Like it's just yeah. mad stuff. And a cooking show. And a cooking show. So doing the cooking show. Um, I'm d- down in London a lot, writing with people and, and doing stuff. And uh, yeah, the future's bright. Good. The future's orange. Thanks very much for Hi, coming very on. Well. Very Thank much you. appreciated. Lovely. Nice one. Thanks very much. To Ross for coming on. Thanks to everyone that's tuned in. Uh, you can check Ross and his band out uh, online. Just search for Father Son. Uh, and you can check this podcast out online, but you'll probably know where to find that if you're already watching it. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, so we'll see you later. <laughs>